Welcome back to another episode of the Adam Schefter Podcast, a Thanksgiving week Adam Schefter Podcast presented by DraftKings, America's top-rated sportsbook app. Today, we are going to be joined by the man who used to run the Houston Texans, their former executive vice president and general manager, Rick Smith, who's been away from football since the 2018 season and has dealt with more challenges and adversity in his life than most anybody I know. We'll also be joined by the ESPN analytics and statistical guru, Evan Kaplan, as he breaks down the Thanksgiving Day matchups, whether Tom Brady is now passing the throne to Patrick Mahomes, and why Carson Wentz is struggling going into a Monday night football matchup versus the Seattle Seahawks. As we look back on week 11, a few things stand out to me right away. The Pittsburgh Steelers, who play on Thanksgiving night, we're going to watch them continue to chase perfection. We are now at the point in the season, 10 games in for them, with a 10-0 record, where we can look at the schedule and wonder whether the Steelers will actually achieve a perfect record. We are not that far away from it. They host Baltimore on Thanksgiving night. They should be able to win that game. They then host Washington at home, another very winnable game. They then travel for two road games at Buffalo, which will be a tough matchup. That will be a tough matchup at Buffalo before going to Cincinnati for a matchup against the Joe Burrowless Cincinnati Bengals. That is a very winnable game. The Steelers then will come home to play the Colts and finish at Cleveland. So to recap, Baltimore, Washington, at Buffalo, at Cincinnati, Indianapolis, at Cleveland. We are at the point where we can begin wondering whether the Pittsburgh Steelers will be able to pull off a perfect regular season. And I will just say this, having covered the 1998 Denver Broncos team that went unbeaten or almost went unbeaten during the regular season, with each win into the double digits, the pressure multiplies. It's tangible. You can feel it. Now, we can get all the Mike Tomlin fiery speeches and press conferences that he gives, and nobody is more entertaining and enlightening to listen to than Mike Tomlin. I could listen to him spew cliches and be entertained by it any day of the week. But I'm just telling you, the Pittsburgh Steelers have moved to the forefront of the national conscience in football to see whether or not they can pull off this perfect season. And it's going to be fascinating to watch. I think they have a real chance to do it. Now, I know we talked an awful lot about Taysom Hill, the Saints quarterback, this past week. But there was another big story on the New Orleans Saints that I think didn't even get very much attention that should have. And not many people realize it, but their offensive lineman, great offensive tackle, Teron Armstead, posted on Instagram, and I will read this. My brother, November 14th, 2020 turned out to be the worst day of my life. My sister called and told me you were killed. I instantly broke down. I could never see myself writing, rest in peace in front of your name. And I still can't believe this is real. I pray that God forgive me for being angry for my lack of understanding and for questioning him because I feel he made a mistake. I never seen you have a bad day. And I want to just point out that Teron Armstead's brother, as he refers to him, was killed before he was supposed to play a game against the 49ers. He got the news one day before and managed to play that game. 
He then flew home during the week to Illinois to bury his brother and play again against the Atlanta Falcons on Sunday. And we talked all about Taysom Hill, and deservedly so. It's a big decision that the Saints had to make. But I just want to point out the strength and courage and fortitude that Teron Armstead demonstrated in quiet, in private, without very many realizing it until he highlighted it on Instagram. And even then, it got past a lot of people. So major props to Teron Armstead for being a warrior, being a soldier, for playing through adversity in a way that I think a lot of other people would not be able to handle. Coming up, we're going to have a guest who also has had his share of that exact type of situation. Rick Smith, the former Texans general manager and executive vice president who lost his wife in 2019 at the beginning of the year and has been raising his three children on his own since then. All right. But before we get into today's episode, I want to tell everyone that season two of the ESPN Investigates podcast is now available. The Running Man tells the story of an obscure former Olympian and alleged serial sexual predator and how a 14-month ESPN investigation brought him out of the shadows. More than 50 men were physically abused and mentally manipulated by their coach for over 40 years until they banded together decades later to find justice. Subscribe and listen now to ESPN Investigates wherever you get your podcasts. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. I do, you do, we all do, big, small. And when we keep them bottled up, as I sometimes have had happen in the past, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who have experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash Adam today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Adam. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore a seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. And now, the former executive vice president and general manager of the Houston Texans, Rick Smith. I got to tell you, you know what is amazing to me? I was just refreshing some facts and reading up, and I read that you left the Texans organization after the 2017 season. And I thought to myself, can that be right? You've been gone out of football. It, it is. Yeah. It is. But you, you've been gone out of football 2018, 2019, and 2020. And I remember speaking to you that weekend. And I can't believe in my mind that that's three years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Time time moves. It, it really does. And, and I know that that's a cliche, but it really, 
it really waits for no man. And, um, you know, we, so, you know, technically I, I left on December 31st, 2017. It was the end of that season. Took the leave of absence, as you know, with the anticipation of nursing and helping Tiffany um, to return to full health. And with the idea and the possibility of even going back to the Texans in a year, that's why we called it a leave of absence. Yeah. And, um, you know, and so obviously things didn't work out that way, but, but it's, it's hard to believe it's been that long, but, you know, I'm, I'm blessed with the time that I've had with, with the kids and, and with my family and, and, and growing and developing and moving through the experience that I moved through. And, uh, and I can tell you that I'm, I'm, I'm actually excited about the opportunity of coming back into the NFL at this point. Well, I was going to say you, and we're going to get to that, but I want to ask you, how would you describe everything that you've been through the last nearly three years? Wow. Wow. <laughs> it's, a, it's a big question, right? I mean, there's so much. It is. It is so much, but I, I think I can encapsulate it and say this. I, I would tell you that, um, first of all, death is a part of life, and it teaches so much about life, and it teaches... Um, it opened, well, at least for me, it opened me up to um, a way of living that 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 has actually changed the way that I move through the world. Adam, I, you know, if you were to come here to the house today, I could in my cabinet over here in my office, I could show you my Franklin planners that date back all the way to 1996. OK, <laughs> and and um, and I've got them here. And, and so I've got. Franklin planners that go back to 1992 when I was first introduced to that system at Purdue University as, an, as a graduate assistant coach. And so I say that to say my life has been uh, structured and organized and, and very much planned. Um, you know, I, I had an idea when I was going to get married, how much money I wanted to make by a certain time and, and, and how quickly I wanted to become a general manager. And so all of these things in my life that these goals I had were planned. And, and for the most part, God has allowed that to happen the way that I had, I, I wanted them to. And so this situation was the first time in my life where I had to surrender and not be in control that way. I, I couldn't plan what was going to happen because I didn't know what was going to happen. And so I had to learn how to move in, in a way that, that is, is, is much more, um, in rhythm with the flow of how things are operating rather than how I want them to be. So I've learned how to live a, a much more uh, surrendered life. And, and I think that's the biggest gift I've, I've received in, in this whole experience. And let me fill in the listeners here. For the listeners who don't know. Sure. Your wife, Tiffany, was diagnosed with breast cancer that wound up spreading to other parts of her body. And she lost her life. And I'll never forget it. I remember finding out the Friday before the Super Bowl. That's how we think of things. When the Patriots played the Rams, I got a call that day. Hey, have you heard from Rick? Have you heard from about Tiffany? And I didn't think it was true. It was hard for me to imagine that it was true because she had been doing well up until the end when it seemed to go the opposite way very quickly. But for those who don't know, Rick lost his wife, Tiffany, in the end of January, early February of 2019 and she left her family leaving behind rick and their three children robert avery and christian and so that is the experience that i think the listeners many of them don't realize what do you remember about that whole situation rick 
Well, it, it's interesting as you were recapping that, Adam. What 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 I would really want to start with was the beautiful woman that she was and our story. And and so you know your listeners don't know my story. And so um, I met Tiffany when I was the director of pro personnel in Denver. And at the time, she was an executive producer at the Judge Judy show. She was living in L.A. and I, of course, was in Denver. We met in Las Vegas and I something in my spirit knew immediately. And, and, and we were engaged a month later and uh, married a year later. And uh, we were married for 17 wonderful years. And she was a beautiful woman, a great partner. Um, fantastic mother and wife. And so, yes, she was diagnosed with breast cancer uh, at the end of September. I was, I was uh, at a, you know, one of our Tuesday tryouts and she had, had of 2017 her, of 2017, right? Yeah. I was at a, at a, at one of our Tuesday tryouts. Um, obviously I was a general manager of the Houston Texans at the time. And um, she had her normal, uh, you know, annual mammogram scheduled, and she had called to say that they had wanted her to have some extent, more extensive testing. And um, and sure enough, about an hour later, she calls back, and so that our world was was rocked at that point. You know, mm-hmm. September thirtieth in, in twenty seventeen, I ended up completing, um, you know, the season obviously and the and the, the roles, and so we went into this world of of. of you know, when you get a cancer diagnosis, Adam, especially an advanced stage of, of a cancer diagnosis, it 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 emerges immerses you into this world of information, and so you've got to develop a, a plan as to how you are going to fight the disease. And so, um, you know, in addition to continuing to run an organization and a club and, and try to work through a season, we were doing that, and so we settled on some therapies and a and a, and a course of of, of uh, treatments that, as you mentioned, were very successful early on. And, and, and so, um, you know, it was a bit of a shock that she passed as quickly as she did. And, and, and like you said, I, I took the leave of absence at the end of that 27 season and, uh, you know, effectively January 2018. And she passed January uh, 2019. And so, um, you know, it was it was a um, very, very challenging situation, obviously, for my family, for my kids. And, and, you know, those things that we just talked about, um, how to, you know, about the, the, the lessons that death teach you, um, about how, how wonderful it is to live. And, 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 you know, you know, what I talked about, not living from a state of having to always be in control of things and learning how to surrender. Those are things that I've learned and things that she taught me and things that she left with us that we, uh, that we continue to honor today. You know what I remember? I remember being at the service at Wheeler Baptist Church in Houston. And I remember your son, your oldest son, Robert, coming up to deliver a eulogy. And I can remember it clear as day. He got up there. And how old was Robert that time? About 16? He was, yeah. Okay. So Robert gets up there, 16, facing an audience of dignitaries. Many Actually, he was 15, Adam. He hadn't turned 16 yet. Even more impressive, 15. Uh, his classmates are there. The people he played high school football with are there. Many people that you worked with around the NFL are there. And he steps up to the podium in front of a couple of hundred people, correct? Yeah, yeah, close to a thousand, actually. That, okay, well, a thousand, okay. At Wheeler Baptist Church, he looks out over the audience, pauses, it's quiet, it's silent. And the first thing he said was, God, she was beautiful, wasn't she? <laughs> and I thought, Man, that was unbelievable. I still get emotional thinking about it now. Yeah. What do you remember about that day? 
Wow. Well, I remember, um, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm fortunate. I'm very blessed. So both my parents are living. Um, all of my siblings are living. I, I've not had to um, plan a funeral before. So, um, so that, that, you know, there was just this enormous sense of uh, responsibility that I felt to honor her and, and to do that the right way. And it's funny, you know, as I put the, the order of service together, Robert told me, he said, dad, you know, you, you should let me go last. Wow. <laughs> wow. He did, you know? And, and so I, you know, I didn't, you know, I didn't speak. I didn't have remarks. I had, you know, various people from the community and he represented the family, of course. But I got to tell you, man, I'm glad I didn't <laughs> try to go after him because he uh, he he did a wonderful job. He he's expressive that way. He's he's you know leadership has always been important to me. That's one of the traits that that I've passed on to him. So he's comfortable in that environment to get up in front of people and talk to people. But man, the way that he was able to do that in such a a difficult set of circumstances was just impressive. Even oh to my me. god, oh my god. Let me say this. I mean, it was it was very impressive and. Robert did an unbelievable job and you trained him well with those leadership skills. And you talk about what a beautiful woman Tiffany was. As I was getting ready to talk with you today, I began thinking of the last time we were together, me, you and her. Do you, do you remember it? I do. Yeah. Hall of Fame, Canton? Yep. 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 We had, we had lunch or dinner. I, I do remember that day. Yeah. A pregame meal before going to see Terrell Davis inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And, and yeah. as we were there, I remember... Tiffany talked about the fact she was about to go to work for a radio station, right? In Houston? Well, she had a show. She, she had just completed her uh, license to be a, a, a life coach. And so in that whole expression, she um, had um, established a radio show. So she was right. doing a radio show is what she was doing. Right. And so yeah. she said at that lunch, remember, she goes, my dream guest, the person that I want to get on the radio show would be Roy Firestone, who used to be a great, great interviewer on ESPN. Remember that? And so sure. literally as you were at the lunch table, we reached out to Roy Firestone. And within 10 minutes, he called the table and I put him on the phone with Tiffany. And she was so moved and excited to be able to speak to Roy Firestone. Remember that? Yeah, Adam, that, that was a gift, man. Let me just kind of give you a little bit of background on that, too. So there were two, as I mentioned, she was a television producer. So she had worked her way through. She started in and the music industry and had worked their way through um, TV production. And there were two people who basically inspired her um, to do what she ended up doing. One of them was a, a she saw uh, on Donahoe, she, on the Donahoe, so she worked at the Sally Jesse Raphael show, she worked at Keenan Ivy Wayans and so, and as I mentioned, she worked at Judge Judy. So she was in daytime television. When she was watching as a young lady, watching a uh, Donahue show, she saw a black woman with a headset on behind the scenes and it was one of the producers. Hmm. And when she saw that woman, she, she thought to herself that that's what she wanted to do. She kind of knew at that moment. So it was that experience. And, and she always talked about Roy Firestone and, and the way that he interviewed. And, um, you know, and so she 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 was, uh, you know, obviously inspired by by him. And so when we were sitting there and, and, and having lunch that day and she mentioned that and you got him on the phone, she was as giddy. I mean, that was just a great, great memory, man, to watch her as giddy as she was and as happy as she was sit there and talk to her. man. So I've talked to him. So I, I, I appreciate that. Moment. That was one of the special moments that we've shared. Well, let me say this. Uh, I echo everything you say about her. I love your wife. 
She was a incredible woman. She was, as you have described, she was a force. She was a beautiful woman. And uh, we still think about her and miss her. I carry the program from her funeral in my knapsack all the time. Yeah. So when I open it up, I still see her whenever I open that knapsack, which isn't very often, Rick, because I don't get to sure. leave the house very often these days. But when I do open the knapsack, I'm reminded of her. And I always want to think of her because she was that special and unique of a woman. So what about you now going forward? You have been involved with the NFL. You've been on this committee to keep the competitive integrity of the game during this pandemic. You have had some work like that. What could you see yourself doing going forward? Would you like to be back in the NFL? Well, I, 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 the answer, the short answer is yes. The long answer is that that was not something that was clear to me over the, the last three years. And, and I've gone, you know, back and forth about what is my next expression and, and what gifts do I have to deliver and, and, and how can I best serve and, 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 and be a beneficial presence on the planet, Adam, because that's what I'm interested in at this point. And um, I wasn't sure that that avenue was going to lead me back to the NFL. But uh, I, I got to tell you, man, I, 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 I have a, a, a specific skill set. I have uh, experience. I have relationships. I have expertise. I have institutional knowledge and all of that stuff. Most of that is, is around the National Football League. And I and I almost have a I feel like an obligation to 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 use all of that, <laughs> right? Yeah. And so um, you know I would love to to get back in and run an organization again. Um, and and that's what um, you know. Like I said, if you would have asked me that a year and a half ago or two years ago, I, I wouldn't have been able to definitively say yes to that. Um, my family, I don't know if they were ready at that point for that. And so um, we've we've healed. We've taken our time. What I tried to do with my kids um, uh, in terms of how we grieved and how we moved through that process is I, I did it organically and authentically, and I did it honestly in front of them. And so I did that to give them permission to do that because I wanted we all I wanted us all to be able to move through our emotions and our feelings in a way that we came out healthy. And and I believe in therapy. And and so we had we had help. We had therapy. We we cried together, we laughed together, we 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 were angry together and at each other at times. And but but I tried to make this house a, a space, um, a safe space for all of us to move through the the traumatic experience of losing Tiffany. And it took that long. You know, I know it seems like it's been a long time. We started talking about how it's been three years, but it took that long, man, for us to move to a space where, where I'm, I'm available to this again and I can go and do this again and we can all be healthy and move forward in it again. How do you do that for the people out there who are grieving, who have lost a loved one? How do you expedite that process if you can even do that? Well, I, I would I would even challenge the, the nature of your question. You, you can't expedite it. You, you have to you have to be patient with yourself and, and exercise grace with yourself, because a lot of people want to do exactly what you said, Adam. A lot of people want to move through it and get over it. And it's just my opinion that especially when you're talking about the death of a mom or a wife or, or someone that's very close to you. It's not something that, in my opinion, you should just get over. 
Yeah. I think you've got to, you got to, but that's difficult to do, you know, and I'm blessed to have been able to do that. You know, um, I'm blessed to be, to have been able to, to take the time to, to grieve with my kids and to, to, to walk with them through their experience. And, and, and for me and my own, you know, I'm, I'm grateful for that. I'm so thankful for that. And so um, I would just say to folks who are grieving is to be honest about your feelings and to know that you will move. You know, they have these stages of grief where it's denial and then, you know, there's anger and then there's acceptance and, you know, there's, there's, there's negotiate. There's all of these, there's, there's these five stages of grief that, that have been, you know, when people study grief and grief counseling. And I would just tell you that, um, that, that is, is, is such a, um, people study that and talk about that because it's accurate. <laughs> you will move through all of those emotions and you have to give yourself time to move through them, you know, and, and, uh, but I will say this, if you do and you, 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 you have patience with yourself and you look for the lessons that are there for you to learn and glean from the time together with your loved one, then you will come out on the other side and you will be, you will be better for it. You will be stronger for it. You will find more love. My heart's open. Um, you know, I, I, I have a better perspective on, on life. Um, so there is, there is, there is, there is light on the other side of the tunnel, but sometimes that tunnel is dark, man. And you have to be willing to work through it when, when it's that way. So what do you think was key to you getting to the point where you said, okay, I am ready and open to return to the NFL, which you said you did only recently about a year, year and a half ago. Well, I, 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 I would tell you that. Um, my practice is what helped me through this. So, so I've got a practice and I think that that's important for anybody who, you know, just the way that I organize my life, Adam. So I, I believe that we are mind, body, spirit, but then I add a, you know, I'm a sociologist by, 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 you know, trade and what I studied in school, I studied sociology and, and psychology. And so I believe that we we are all comprised of mind, body, spirit. So the way that I organize that is your mind, obviously, is your vocation, the things that you're doing and keeping your mind sharp. Your body is your 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 exercise, your your nutrition, your hydration, your supplements. And, you know, you making sure that you're, you're taking care of your health that way. Your spirit is whatever it is, your connection to how whatever it is that you believe God is or, or if you have that belief, it's your connection there. And then I add that fourth element of your soul. To me, your soul is the social relationships and contracts that you have with people. So, you know, and that's your roles. You're, you're, you're a husband, you're a father, you're a son, you're a brother, you're a colleague. Those social relationships that you are engaged in. And so when I look at that, that as a holistic person, then I believe you need to develop practices that speak to all of those areas. And so when you are doing your best in all four of those areas, you're operating optimally. So if you, you know, you eat correctly and you're taking your supplements and you're exercising and you're doing the things that you've decided to do to stay sharp physically, and you're doing the same thing mentally, whatever those things are for you, spiritually and socially, when you take the time to practice and do the things that keep those, those four areas elevated, you're doing great. And inevitably, if you are off on one of them, it affects the other. And so I've learned how important practice is that way. And so, and I've learned how important it is to, to, to take inventory on a regular basis uh, in terms of where you are in those areas to make sure that you are maintaining 
your optimal way of walking and living through the world. And so for me, meditation is really important because it's the way that I stay aware of, of, of all of these dynamics that are operating and happening in me and to me. And so, you know, my meditation and prayer life is really um, heightened. Um, you know, I'm in shape. I feel younger than I did three years ago. I'm, you know, my diet is better. I'm, I'm, um, I just feel like I'm in a better space physically, mentally, spiritually, and socially. I feel like I'm in a better space now than I was before. And, and it's, a, it's because I have developed practices around those four areas, and I've been relatively consistent with keeping those practices going. And when I have fallen off, because we all fall short, right? So we all will get off. We all, you know, we get out of balance. We get out of rhythm. We get out of, out of, out of flow. And the, the idea is to A, recognize that you're out of rhythm, and then B, go back to your practices that get you back into rhythm. And so it's a constant, it's a, that's why you have to always be checking in with yourself and, and, and you have to be aware because if you are aware, then you recognize when you're off and you see what area in your life is off and you go back to the practices that support that and that'll get you back in rhythm. Could you have developed like this and you've always been um, very thoughtful, very spiritual, uh, very impressive in so many ways, but could you be where you are today if you remained as the executive vice president and general manager of the Texas? Well, I, I think the short answer to that is no, Adam, because I'm a function and a product of all of my experiences, right? So I, I'm, I'm walking in this, this thing called my life and I'm learning and growing each day. And so every experience that happens to me is one that that is um, molded me and shaping me. And, and so Tiffy's death was something that molded me and changed me, right? Um, being with the Houston Texans for um, 13 years, that that molded me and shaped me. You know, the, the time I spent with Bob McNair shaped me and molded me. You know, it, it, the way that I look at a lot of things in the world, you know. So, no, I, I, I would not be what I am, who I am, where I am right now without everything that's happened in my life. Hmm. I want to talk about the football aspect of this. There's so much deep and meaningful information with what you shared there. But while you were with the Texans, your draft record was rather stellar. You drafted, amongst others, Dwayne Brown, J.J. Watt, uh, DeAndre Hopkins, Jadevian Clowney, Deshaun Watson. What do you remember about the day trading up for Deshaun Watson to make him your quarterback of the future going from, I think you were at 27 and went to 10? Is my memory correct there, Rick? Yeah, yeah, it's close, man. It's you know, it so so what I remember most about that is that that probably and that's a great segue question from what we just talked about, Adam, because it was the it was, in my opinion, the culmination of my entire time as a general manager. And what I mean by that is this I am a I, I, I believe in process, right? So I, I put a process, you mentioned all those players, those really you know, great players that we had. First round draft picks and 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 we and, and I think if you look at the the you know the entirety of our drafts, I had some really good people working with me and we had good system, we had a good process. And when you have a good process and you have good people who are operating in that system and process, you give yourself a chance to be successful. I always say that in the draft. Mm -hmm. it, all we're trying to do is we're trying to give ourselves a chance to make good decisions on draft day. And if we stay consistent with what these principles are in this process then we will we will at least do that we'll give ourselves a chance and we and we had some success i mean we had some failures obviously and some misses like we like you know all of us do 
but I do, I am proud of our record and proud of the, the men that we drafted and the teams that we put together. But that particular draft, so, so in that whole idea as the way that I run a draft room, I believe in, in consensus building. So I, I never believe in giving coaches um, players that they don't believe in or that they don't want. I think we all have to be vested in the decision to add a player to the football team. I think everybody has to have a voice. And I think when you give people that opportunity and you give them that voice and so and then you move and you make decisions based on that, everybody has to have buy in because everybody has had their input to the decision. And so throughout the course of my tenure as GM, I, 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 I did that. I operated that way. I, I, we, we, we set the board. We valued the, vo- the board that way with respect to the way that scouts and coaches saw players and we came to consensus about what that looked like and what that value was. And that's how we drafted. And so I, 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 there were, there were, there were very few picks in my tenure as GM that they were not exactly where they were valued on the board and everybody agreed. This particular one was a little different because um, I knew that I couldn't sit where we were and get Deshaun. And I had gone to watch him play multiple times, and and uh, I was convinced that that he could be, you know, the franchise quarterback that we needed. And so I actually spent the day on the phone trying to move up, and I couldn't get a deal done. Um, but right before I went down to the draft room, um, I, I made a call to to, to Sashi Brown in Cleveland, and um, you know, and I told him, I said, hey, um, you know, if my guy's there, I'm gonna come, I'm gonna come up, and. Um, you know, we talked about the compensation and we agreed what it was. It wasn't hard. It was just the math work. It was it was a next year's one. And so um, in the draft room, um, when we started, you know, getting close to the pick that I was trying to get to, I, I, I polled the room and I asked, you know, who would move up and give up? You know, I created the scenario and I couldn't get anybody to bite. So nobody would do it. And sure enough, you know, Soon thereafter, Andy comes up to get Patrick Mahomes. And so after that happened, I stood up again and I said, hey, guys, I'm telling you, if you got one that you believe can be your guy, you have to go get him. So <laughs> then I put the scenario out there about the deal that I had on the table. You know, nobody knows I've got this deal on the table, but I said, hey, so who would go up to here to give to get him? And nobody would. I, I couldn't get any support. And so I sat down. And I leaned over to Bill. Bill O'Brien sits beside me and sat beside me in the draft room. And I said to him, I said, Bill, I really believe in this kid. And I said, I, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go get him. And, you know, so we had our conversation. And, and, and after that conversation, he was on board. And, and so sure enough, when, uh, when, when Cleveland got on the clock, I just stood up and I said, hey, boys, sometimes you just got to, you know, you got to go with your gut. And um, we're going to move up and we're going to take this guy and, and kind of talk through that conversation and you know obviously everybody's um it, you know it's easy to do it to be excited about it when you don't have to make that choice out <laughs> so everybody got excited once i made that announcement but um so i would just say that i remember the fact that that was the one time when i went against the room i didn't i didn't there were very rare times that, wow. that I, I went against the entire room you know and um well that was a good but, time to go against the room rick well, it was, but but it was also a, a function of my my um, my confidence in what I knew. Because you know, you sit in that role for that long, man. I don't I don't know that I could have pulled that trigger three years in, as yeah. you know, when I was general manager three years. You know what I mean? So 
that's the beauty of of um, of having the experience and having the, the the fortunate opportunity to sit in that role for that long. Well, and for those who don't know, you actually became the youngest general manager in the NFL at the age of 36 in 2006. So sure. when you build up to that experience to where you go, you need a quarterback and you're on the clock, you can make that deal. You probably feel a lot more comfortable having been through all the adventures and journeys and situations that you have to make a deal like that, even if it means going against the room. Well, yeah, and, and you're right. And, and I've been the youngest. God has really blessed me, man. I was the youngest coach in the Big Ten. I got hired at Purdue when I was 24 years old to coach the secondary. So I've been the youngest a couple different times, you know, in, in some some really <laughs> cool and big situations. And um, and you're right. It, it Having that experience um, did give me the confidence to do that. And and and. There were there were experiences in the room that I pulled on from years of, of being, you know, in that seat that gave me the confidence to do that. And that's that's what I mean by, you know, living and 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 wisdom is 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 living life skillfully. Right. So you're learning from the from the things that happen in your life and experience. And I try to do that. My favorite book in the Bible is Proverbs and, and Proverbs is just a, the, the, the entire book of Proverbs There's 31 chapters and so you know back when i was young if i didn't do any other spiritual or 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 um connecting kind of of reading or praying i would it, you know most months have 31 days and um so i would whatever day of the month it was if it got to the end of the day and i hadn't done anything i just would read the corresponding chapter of proverbs because there's 31 of them and um there's so much wisdom in proverbs and it talks about you know the, the living life you know from a from a from a point of, of wisdom and learning and growing. And so I try to do that in, in all of the things that I do. And, and certainly that 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 decision was a result of a lot of experience that I'm I'm grateful to have been able to obtain. Rick, I started the conversation by saying I could not believe that it had been three years since you and the Texans unofficially parted ways. If we looked into your crystal ball now and last year Washington spoke to you about its general manager job. But if we looked into your crystal ball now, where would you see yourself three years from now when we have another conversation like this? Wow, that's a good question. So I would um, I would tell you that that I'm, I'm operating this way, Adam. And so, you know, like I like I said before, um, I am uh, in a space now where I, I'm not in control. I'm living surrendered. OK, but that doesn't mean that I can't have preference. Mm -hmm. So I can have preference about what it is that I do, but then I can stay open to guidance and direction so that if something comes up that's this or something better, I will move to something better. Right. Mm. <laughs> so so my, my what I would tell you, the way that I've answered that is this is what I've this is kind of what I what I what I've come to. I want to be able to do a couple of things. I want to be able to stay connected to my 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 connection to uh the presence of God in the way that I'm living. I want to be able to express myself and deliver the gifts that I have. And we talked about a lot of those gifts in, in, in the way that it expresses as a general manager, as, as a leader of an organization. I want to do that again. And so I'm not, I'm not afraid to admit that I would love to be running a, a, a club, a team. Okay. And that or something better. 
<laughs> right. Yep. However, I I want to I want to be available. I, I, you know, I want to still be available to my kids. There are four things that I that I've, I've outlined and I want to do. I want to stay connected. I want to deliver the gifts that I have. I want to stay available to my kids. Um, and uh, you know, that doesn't mean that I can be that I need to be there the way that I've been these last three years. But I still, it's important to me to 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 stay active in what they're doing and. And, and their lives and that kind of thing. And, and, and that's the other thing that I'm really grateful for, man. I The relationships that I have with my three kids now is so much more enhanced that, and this, I never would have been able to develop that the way that I have over these last three years, you know, by being a single parent. And, and you know, when the pandemic hit, being a janitor, the cafeteria lady, the dean, the principal, the teacher, all of those things. Um, you know, being, you know, quarantined in this house with them over the last several months and just developing, you know, the love and, and the support and, and and what it means to be family. I'm so thankful for that. So I can move now back into a space of vocation because we've got a really, really solid foundation here. And and so I I think that I I I I do that job well. I would hope to be in 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 a situation where I'm I'm uh, able to do that and, and 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 giving the things that I can give in that role and 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 winning hopefully a championship in that role. So that's what I would tell you right now. I'm, I'm where I think I'm going to be. I don't, I don't know that to be certain. You know, I, I don't have a job to give me, so I have to have somebody offer me one. Right? Yep. And but they should. Be, but they should be the right one. Yeah. yeah, it has to be the right one because you know there are a couple things I've learned. You know that are important. Uh, to your success in the NFL, and 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 I will articulate those things, you know, when when and if that that opportunity presents itself, and and if those if those pieces are in place, um, then then yeah, I, I would be excited about that. You know what I have found over life? I have found that the more you have to go looking for a job, the less likely you will be to get one. Sure. The less you think about it, the more likely you are to end up in the type of situation that we all want to and aspire to. Sure. When I was younger, I wanted to be a newspaper sports columnist. And I tried so hard to keep advancing my newspaper career without much success. And when I stopped looking and stopped seeking those sorts of things, it's almost as if that energy that I had been putting into that was put into the job and the opportunities that I hoped to achieve wound up coming my way when I wasn't looking for them, if well, that makes we, any sense. Well, we get in our own way a lot of times, right? We, we do. We get in our own way and, and we limit the expansiveness and the creativity of the universe when we do so. Because we think we got this finite idea of how it ought to be. And, yeah. and you had that. And, 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 but, but there's so much more out there and available to us if we just open up to it. And that's that whole you know, control kind of thing that, that I've learned to release. And, you know, there's, you know, there, there's some freedom in that, you know, there is some, it, it's not a, you know, I had to learn how to do this. And, 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 and I'll share one other concept with you. When we would obviously have, um, you know, people come and speak to the team all the time. And, and one of my favorite um, groups of people who came to talk to the team was a group of, of uh, special forces guys that had gone in and had, um, participated in, in the raid um, to kill Osama bin Laden. Mm. And they talked about this idea. They talked about a lot of things, but one of the things that really resonated with me 
was this idea of learning how to be comfortable in uncomfortable situations. Yeah. And this is when they're talking about their training, because it doesn't matter what training you do. And this is in, this is this is consistent across the board in whatever genre or industry that you find yourself in. You can train for as many scenarios and outcomes as you can train for that that time allots. But when you get into into the actual environment, the scene, the battle, the draft, the game, whatever it is that that that, that you the board meeting. Inevitably, there's going to be something that happens that you haven't necessarily trained for, and you're going to be potentially uncomfortable. And so you've got to learn when that surprise hits that you can't you can't let your um, your emotions take over. You can, you've got to remain calm, and you have to learn how to fall back on all of your knowledge, all of your training, so that you move through that environment in a way that that is successful. So you've got to learn how to be comfortable in uncomfortable environments. I learned that dealing with this, dealing with this entire situation with Tiffany. And and um, so I've, I've, I've gotten that 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 lesson. And so you you kind of got to learn how to do that. And if you can do that, if you can be OK with not necessarily knowing everything and having the plan and having it planned out that way, um, then 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 you know, then there's things that are available to us that, that we could, you know, we never even could imagine. And that's why I say, I want this or something better, <laughs> right? Right, whatever that is. So I don't limit myself, you know, I can still be targeted. I can still be uh, aspirational. I can still want certain things and, and uh, but I don't, I'm not attached to that longing. I want it because, again, I've got some, some some fundamental principles that are operating underneath that are forever, right? So the love, the grace, the joy, the beauty, the harmony, the peace, those things I'm always going to try to try to express because those are eternal qualities. But then there's some other things that are not so eternal, jobs, for example, some things that, you know, I, I would like to do that or something better. I'm As long as I get to stay and express myself and do these kinds of things that are important, that are that are real then how it gets to take place or how I get to manifest that to the world is, is, is not my business. It's, it's, I, have to, I, have to, I have to be open to that. And then I got to go express that when I catch it. Well, I look forward to hearing how you're going to impact the world. I think it would be wonderful if it were in the National Football League, but maybe there is something even bigger and better out there for you than the National Football League. We'll see how that all unfolds. In the interim, Please wish Robert and Avery and Christian a very happy Thanksgiving. I wish you, my friend, a very happy Thanksgiving. And I appreciate your time and your candor and your openness and your thoughtfulness, as always, on this podcast today, Rick. Well, would you extend uh, our love and, and, and wishes to your family as well? And uh, and I appreciate it, man. I, I haven't really talked uh, in a while. And so you, you you probably are the right guy to do this because I was probably more open to it with you than I would be with anybody. So we'll see what we'll see what happens. So it's it's all good. I've enjoyed it, Adam. I, I appreciate it, and I appreciate your your friendship and your support over the years and and and, and everything. I appreciate you, my friend. Have a happy Thanksgiving. Take care, man. And so there is the former Texans executive vice president and general manager Rick Smith, and as you can tell. It's only a matter of time before he is back in the NFL and a huge asset to the organization that hires him to lead it forward. Happy Thanksgiving to Rick Smith.
and his lovely children, Robert, Avery, and Christian. All right, before we get to the ESPN analytics and statistics guru, Evan Kaplan, first wanted to point out a story from another former general manager, Mike Tannenbaum, who worked with the Jets and the Dolphins. I happened to call Mike this past week, not knowing where he was or what he was doing. And he said, you'll never believe who I'm with right now. Somebody who worked with the Jets and the Giants. And I'm thinking, who's he with? Rex Ryan? Rex Ryan never worked for the Giants. And I said, who was with the Jets and the Giants? And he said, Bill Parcells. And I heard Bill Parcells in the background say, who is it? And I said to Mike, tell Bill it's the germ spreader. Because that's how Bill Parcells refers to me and Mort and other reporters as germ spreaders. And so I hear Mike say, oh, it's Adam Schefter, the germ spreader. And I hear Bill Parcells say what I think might be the finest compliment that anyone has ever paid me. He said, Adam Schefter, the germ spreader, he's the valedictorian germ spreader. To be called the valedictorian germ spreader by the great Bill Parcells about, is about as high a praise as one individual can ever hope to hear. And so I will go into this Thanksgiving holiday taking that little memory of being called the valedictorian germ spreader with me. All right, on to week 12 and on to our next guest. All right, joining us now, my colleague, my friend, the ESPN analytics guru, the master statistician, Evan Kaplan. Evan, happy Thanksgiving to you and your family. Thanks, Adam. Happy Thanksgiving to you. Great to be on. Should be a great week, great day, Thanksgiving, my favorite holiday. Love that day. Mm-hmm. And of course, we've got some great Thanksgiving Day matchups. We've got the Texans at the Lions. We've got Washington at Dallas. And we've got the Ravens at the Steelers. What stands out to you about these matchups, Evan? Well, I'm with you. It's it's always one of my favorite days of the year. Definitely my favorite holiday. Looking forward to, to watching some, some good football. And I think after the Week 11 games, certainly the Washington Cowboys game became much more interesting, yeah. right? I think... Over the last few weeks, people looked at this game and kind of rolled their eyes. Well, now we've got two at three and seven. The winner of this game will at least for the moment be alone in first place in the NFC East. How about that? So at four and seven, the winner of Thursday's game will be in first place. I think the key for the Cowboys, and I think, you know, we forgot about this in their four-game losing streak, but when Andy Dalton first came on for Dak Prescott, I remember we talked on Monday Night Countdown about how the discussion was, look, Andy Dalton has had success in this league. Andy Dalton has a lot of weapons around him with mm-hmm. Ezekiel Elliott, who had his first 100-yard game of the season rushing against the Vikings. C.D. Lamb, Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup. They have weapons on this offense. I can see the Cowboys kind of making a run to try and win this division. And then wow. the night game kind of speaks for itself. Ravens-Steelers, and it's – you don't. We don't get a chance to see an undefeated team on Thanksgiving very often. Steelers are looking to become only the 13th team in the Super Bowl era to start a season in 11 and 0. What does 11 and 0 mean? Well, nine of the previous 12 teams reached the Super Bowl. Most recently, the 2015 Panthers. And I think with this matchup, I go back to the first one in Week Eight when the the story with the Ravens. They had never lost with Lamar Jackson starting when leading by double digits. Well, in Week Eight. They lost against the Steelers when leading by double digits, and it happened again in Week 11 when they lost to the Titans when they were up 21 to 10. That's a huge story for the Ravens. This is almost a game with the way the AFC playoff picture is shaking out. 
it's hard to say that you need a game against a team that's 10 and over. The Ravens almost need this game yeah. to kind of get them stabilized and get really back rolling. I mean, they're it, reeling right now. They're, they're not the same team, right? You lose. Yeah. Ronnie Stanley mm-hmm. and Marshall Yonda from the offensive line, Yonda to retirement, Stanley to a season-ending knee injury. And then the defensive line has been without Brandon Williams and Calais Campbell. My sense is, if I had a guess today, as we tape this midday Monday, they're not going to play on Thursday night either. So it's just you can't lose that much talent off both lines and still think that your team is going to be as effective. And they haven't been. And then – you know, Marquise Brown is not developed, I don't think, so far the way they had hoped. They're not getting help from Mark Andrews across the middle. There's some issues there that have popped up with Baltimore that has detracted from the season the Ravens were hoping to have. Not that they still can't have it, but there are some glaring holes and issues with them right now. Yeah, right? absolutely. But I, but I think that's kind of what that, that's one of the things that makes this Thanksgiving night game so interesting because as bad as it looks right now, at six and four for them and having lost three of four, if uh, with a win over a 10 and 0 Steelers team, we feel a lot differently oh, yeah. about the Ravens four days from now. Oh, no, you'll, you'll feel really good about Baltimore making the playoffs if they could find a way to beat the Pittsburgh Steelers on Thanksgiving night. I think that's going to be a very tough assignment for the Ravens to pull off. And by the way, to the flip side of that, if the Ravens lose on Thanksgiving night and they've lost those games the way they have, I think you're not going to feel great about them making the playoffs. Totally so, agree. So it's a it's a pivotal game for Baltimore. All right, we've got Taysom Hill, presumably making a second start. I don't think that's too bold to say. Uh, he played very well in his first start this season for the Saints on Sunday against Atlanta. Now the Saints head to Denver. What do we expect there? Yeah, Taysom Hill put up a type of performance we haven't seen much from a quarterback in NFL history. So fourth quarterback ever in his first start against the Falcons to complete 75% of his passes, rush for 50 yards, and rush for two touchdowns. Only happened four times, including Hill. And I think what I'm seeing from the Saints is this is becoming a an all-around team that is really hitting their stride yep. as we get towards December. Michael Thomas finally got involved, really, for the first time all year, his first 100-yard game of the season. The Saints defense had eight sacks of Matt Ryan. They have 18 sacks in their last four games. We remember the dominant defensive performance they had against Tom Brady and the Bucs on Sunday night a few weeks back. So this team, as we enter week 12, they're on top of the NFC at 8-2. and two. We know that we'll see what happens with, with Breeze and the quarterback situation going forward. I think there were encouraging signs of Taysom Hill from his first start. I think there are encouraging signs from this defense. And, Adam, I had to give you this one as we mentioned this game. Do you know the last time that the Saints beat the – now, let's mention they only play every four years because yep. they're in different conferences. The last time the Saints beat the Denver Broncos. Well, you know, it's funny you say that. As you said that, I'm starting to think, and I remember being in New Orleans for a game in which Mike Anderson came off the bench for Denver and ran for like 150 yards. And the great part was he had played in the band um, and even played in the Superdome at one point in time. Wow. So That's uh, great. I, I remember that. Like, if we went into the clippings, Mike Anderson's big game at New Orleans, it was like his first 100-yard game. That's great. So, yeah, it was, so, the, it, so the Broncos won that game. The last time the Saints beat the Broncos, Christmas Eve 1994 in Denver. I wonder if you were probably there. covering that game. Yeah. I, oh, I was there. I uh, That might have been the last game of the Wade Phillips regime, wow. if, I to, if I had to guess. And if it wasn't the last game, it was the second to last game. And then they fired Wade. 
and hired Mike Shanahan, and the rest was history for the Denver Broncos. So, oh, I, the it only was. the the only Broncos game that I missed, yeah, from 1990 through 2004, was a Sunday night game in November of 1995. Uh, one of my best friends from college got married that night in New York, and the Broncos were playing in Philadelphia, and I missed that game. And I remember it was an agonizing decision whether I should miss the game, my only game that I missed during the time that I covered that team, wow. or go to, the, go to the wedding. I went to the wedding. Um, so I, my, my, my Lou Gehrig streak was snapped. <laughs> my Cal Ripken streak was snapped for a wedding. Right. So you, you, you try to be a good friend and you can't be well, Cal I, Ripken. That's the way it goes. I right? thought you'd enjoy that one, and you are correct. That was the last game of the Wade Phillips, Ember, <laughs> Wade Phillips era in Denver. Great How about that? So, by the way, that's 26 years ago. Yep. And I don't remember what I did last week, but I would know that that's the last game of the Wade Phillips regime, right? Like, how weird is that? Crazy. Some of the things we remember. Oh, yeah. That, that's how that's how minds work. All right. On this Sunday, again, we're taping midday Monday, and we have Tom Brady on Monday Night Football against the Rams tonight. We'll see what happens. But as we head into the week, we also get Tom Brady and Patrick Mahomes. Has Tom Brady relinquished the crown to Patrick Mahomes, Evan? And this is kind of interesting. So this will be the fourth meeting between these two quarterbacks, including the playoffs. Uh, Brady won the first two in the 2018 season, including a classic AFC championship. Mahomes got his first one last year. And I kind of I went back and I looked at since Mahomes has been drafted in 2017 and kind of his career arc as you compare it to Brady. So 2017, Brady showed he was still the top QB, won the NFL MVP. Mahomes barely played, sitting behind Alex Smith as a rookie. 2018. Now Mahomes takes home the biggest individual award. He wins the MVP. He throws 50 touchdowns. But Brady still gets the ultimate prize, winning a sixth Super Bowl. Hmm. Now last year, not only did Mahomes beat Brady for the first time, but he adds his Lombardi trophy, adds a Super Bowl MVP to his impressive resume. So as Mahomes is kind of climbing that mountain, he's been right with Brady kind of the whole time, following in his footsteps. And I think what makes this game even more intriguing is you've got a 9-1 Chiefs team, a Buccaneers team where, like you said, we'll see what happens against the Rams, but certainly one of the contenders in the NFC, playmakers all over the field on both sides. I, I don't think, Adam, and I just mentioned the Saints, who I think are probably the NFC favorite right now, so I don't want to discount them. But that being said, I don't think anyone would be overly surprised if we saw this matchup in Tampa Bay in a couple months for the Super Bowl. Well, that would be interesting, right? Tom Brady versus Patrick Mahomes in Tampa for the well. That I would take that matchup. Would right, you right, and 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 with the fact that they're in different conferences now, and as I mentioned with Saints, they only play the other conferences only play once every four years. If these two don't meet in the Super Bowl, this could be the last time we see Tom Brady against Patrick Mahomes, right. unless Tom Brady somehow is playing at age forty-seven, which I don't know if that, that would surprise anyone, right? He, he might be. I mean, right. I wouldn't put anything Let's past him. Let's not discount that. Yeah, no, I think anything's possible with Tom. Tom versus time. I mean, that's the way it goes. And the last thing I want to ask you about as we wrap up our little Thanksgiving week get-together, Evan, is yep. Monday night, we've got Seattle and Russell Wilson traveling to Philadelphia to play Carson Wentz. And Carson Wentz is struggling right now. The Eagles are struggling. Nobody wants to win that division. What do we make of Carson Wentz's struggles at this time? Yeah, 14 interceptions this season. He threw 14 in the previous two years combined. So he leads the NFL in turnovers. He's been sacked 40 times already. That's the most in the league. 
one thing that that I looked at, you know, using some of our next gen stats, him throwing to open receivers, which are receivers that have at least three yards of separation. He's got the second lowest completion percentage in those areas. So he's not even hitting the guys when they're open. And now another thing that works to his disadvantage, facing Russell Wilson and the Seahawks, a team he's never beaten in his career. Wow. Uh, 0-4 as a starter, including the playoffs. Uh, one of those games last year in their playoff matchup, certainly not fair to Wentz there. He, he got knocked out early at that one. Um, and, and the Seahawks were able to win. But this is a game where I think to the backdrop of what we talked about at the beginning of our segment with Washington and the Cowboys, where one of those teams will move to four and seven. This is a game where if the Eagles can't find a way to win this one, and now then heading into week 13, they're they're out of first place and behind one of those two teams. I think this is I think this is a game where at home, Monday night football against Russell Wilson and the Seahawks, this is one that the Eagles have to find a way to win if they're going to win this division. I, I think at some point we, we talk every week about Wentz and yeah. the turnovers. some point it's got to turn around if they're going to make the playoffs. Here's where it gets interesting. If they don't win the division in a year where it's never been easier to win the division. Mm-hmm. My question is, what is the fallout of that in oh, yeah. Philadelphia? Because there's always fallout. And so we'll think about that. We'll ponder that. And I'm sure we'll have plenty of time to talk about that after we finish our turkey and pumpkin pie this week. Evan, appreciate your time today. Have a great Thanksgiving. We will be in touch. You too, Adam. Sounds good. There is the ESPN analytics guru, Evan Kaplan. Special thanks to Evan, to the former executive vice president and general manager, Rick Smith of the Houston Texans. What a story he shared, what perspective, what wisdom. And that's the way that Rick is. And we really appreciate him taking time during this Thanksgiving week to share his perspective. Thank you to my great producer, Christina Buswell, for putting up with me and putting together this podcast. And thank you, the listener, for tuning in to another Adam Schefter podcast. I want to wish everybody out there a very happy Thanksgiving in this year of unusual and difficult circumstances. As challenging as it has been, we all have many reasons to be thankful. And I'm thankful that you are a part of this podcast each week tuning in. And until next week, week 12, have a great Thanksgiving, be well, and stay safe.